So listen, we've talked about in the first part, haven't we, where Fred and Rose, their childhood, now Fred's childhood and Rose's childhood, how he was um, abused by his mother. His first sexual experience was sleeping with his mother. Um, he also slept with animals and bestiality was a big part of Fred's early life. He was then, we have spoke about how he then wanted to or thought he could, you know, touch people and feel people and, 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 and take women for himself without any thought of what they wanted. It was all about Fred. We've talked about them sort of things. We've talked about his father and his mother and his upbringing. We talked about his first murder um, of Amit Fall. And then we've talked, we've come on to where we talked a little bit about Rose's, uh, Rose's background and how he met Rose and how now they're now living together um, and they first met. So now as we go into part two, again, there's some details in this, um, well, there was a lot of details in this video that is very graphic. So if this is not for you, then you need to really switch off now. So I think Rose West, Rose West was 16 years old when she actually moved in um, and was pregnant by Fred West. Um, shortly thereafter, Fred collected Charmaine and Anne-Marie from the social services and that was it. They were then this one big happy family because you know, this is what Fred wanted. He wanted Rose to be their mother and from day one, them children were told, you call her your mother. That's it. That's what you call her. Nothing else. And they had to call her that. They had to. So on the 17th of October 1970, Rose gave birth to her first child, a daughter named Heather Ann. Now, there is speculation about this child. And the speculation is that the child was not Fred. The child was actually Rose's father. He was the child's father. Because remember what we said in part one, is that about Rose, the incest and that going on. And there is, you know, and speculation still remains to this day, that Fred West was not the father of Heather at all. And I think they all knew that. So two months later, Fred was imprisoned for theft of cars um, and tyres and, um, you know, vehicle tax and this sort of stuff. And he remained in prison until the 24th of June 1971. As he served this six and a half month sentence, Rose, um, having just turned 17, was looking after him, wasn't she? This, you know, these three girls with Charmaine and Marianne, uh, sorry, Anne-Marie, um, you know, and now the baby, that, that's it, they was all there, you know, this girl was 17, thrown into it, he's in prison. So according to uh, Anne-Marie West, um, her, she and Charmaine actually were frequently subjected to, you know, beatings and criticism, they was just being picked on constantly. Uh, there was other forms of punishment and there at times they lived under Rose's care in, in I think it was Midland Road at that point they lived in and um, Anne-Marie was generally a submissive person anyway and um, she really displayed her emotion she'd cry and and would show emotion but in response to this physical and mental hardship she and her sister was feeding um, <laughs> you know Charmaine would not cry 
She wouldn't do it. She would stick up to Rose. She was a strong child. She wasn't having none of that. She took the beatings, hadn't she, for years. She took the abuse, the sexual abuse of Fred. And then he walks this 17 year old thinking that she's gonna tell this kid that's been through, you know, you're talking about a very street wives child now, very street wives, uh, wives at as, without a doubt, child that has been through all this. It's not gonna have some girl come in and start being put down by her. Charmaine fought back, told her, my mother's gonna come for me. My mother's gonna get me. My mother wouldn't speak to me like that, wouldn't swear at me like that, wouldn't hurt me like that. She wouldn't stop. And I think Amory says, you know, where she was this submissive one, Charmaine was not at all submissive in any way. She wasn't going to back down for anybody. So you have this childhood friend of Charmaine's uh, named Tracy Gills, and she um, talked about um, an incident that she remembers happening there. Um, I think they lived in the upper flat to in I think in Middleton Road, um, and they said they lived above the Wests then. Rose and Fred West then where Rose had these three children and you know um, Fred West was in prison at that, that point and so she had gone to um, call for um, Charmaine to go out and she'd come in unannounced you just she straight in the door in them days people didn't lock the door at all mainly in them days um, and then she just see Charmaine naked um, standing on a chair she'd been gagged now this is relevant is it because this comes in much later on her hands had been bound behind her back. Um, she was, and, and there was a belt used, I think, and it was really tight. And Rose stood alongside her, and this child um, just stood, was standing there, no tears, no emotion, because this girl didn't have it. Charmaine, I think, wasn't going to give her the pleasure of crying or anything else. But you had Rose standing next to her with this big wooden spoon. So you have a child gagged so she can't scream. A little bit like the dead bodies later on. Tied up, bound, being tortured, because that's what she liked to do. Now, Rose didn't know what to do, really. Um, according to girl Charmaine, and, you know, she was quite calm and, you know, really unconcerned because God knows what had happened to this child before to think that this wouldn't even upset her or really she was unconcerned at all. But why Amory? had been standing in the doorway. That this, she said there was this blank expression on her face. She could not believe it. Amory was a different child to this child. And it, it's so terrible, really, because, you know, and I think the hospital records actually show that Charmaine had received treatment for several puncture wounds, actually, um, on her left ankle. Uh, and the casualty unit in Gloucestershire Royal Hospital on the 25th, 8th of March 1971 there was um, and it had all been explained by Rose you know as a household accident but it's strange that when you think that a lot of bodies later on come up with missing feet or hands or fingers you know it's 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 strange isn't it really when you think that she says she had nothing to do with this you know still says she's innocent uh, and and even from a young age, now we know at 17, that she was already tying people up, gagging them, tying these kids up and abusing them, even then. Okay, so let's talk about the murder 
now of Charmaine West, this child that I've just explained to you, this character, this child that had been abused her whole life, beaten, sexually abused, physical abuse, psychologically abused, just every abuse going this child had been through. Rose is believed to have killed uh, Charmaine shortly before Fred's prison release on the 24th of June 1971. She was known to have taken Charmaine and Anne-Marie and Heather to visit Fred on the 15th of June. So they know she was alive on the 15th of June. It is believed to be on or very shortly after that date that Charmaine was murdered. So I think as well as the forensic odontology, that's where the teeth, because there was a photograph, only one actually photograph of little Charmaine and it was about the teeth and um, and that, that how they found out. But it was also confirmed um, by, um, I think the friends, a testimony from Gill and the mother Shirley collaborated that Charmaine had been murdered before Fred had been released from prison on June the 24th. So it wasn't just about the teeth. Fred West was still incarcerated at that time when Charmaine disappeared. So we know now that Rose West is also now a murderer. This murder had nothing to do with Fred. Now, Fred at this meeting, you know, when they'd gone to see him in prison, she could have said, couldn't she? I've had enough. And he also says later on a lot about her mistakes. You know, Rose had a little accident. And now her little accident is killing someone. So I think on um, in 1971, I think when the girls, they wanted to see Charmaine, you know, they were friends. She'd gone to visit Charmaine and all of a sudden, one day Charmaine not, not there. Now this is how long it was, I think 1971 now we're talking about. Um, and this girl's body wasn't found until, you know, what, 1994. And don't forget though, she had her mother, Renee, didn't she? So this is what... Uh, Orini, this is what they wanted you to believe. And I think in the 70s, it was much easier to say that the kids have gone back to the mother and stuff. So when the neighbours knocked and the kids knocked for her, she told them, doesn't live her anymore. She's gone back, you know. Uh, and literally Rose just said, you know, good riddance really. Because, um, you know, she'd, she really just dismissed it. You had this little kid now, this Tracy Gills crying because she thinks her best friend's left her and never said goodbye. She's gone away, gone back with her mother. Why didn't she say goodbye? Rose West had killed her. And then she was like, mm, good friends. She's gone back to the mother. So then you have this Anne-Marie, don't you? She's now saying, her sister, where's my sister? Where's Charmaine? Now, Charmaine was the strong one, wasn't she? Anne-Marie was not strong. She was the one that cried. She was the one that found it very emotional, difficult, really difficult to live in this environment. Charmaine was her rock. Where's my sister gone? They said she's gone. She's gone back to live with her mother. So in her autobiography, um, Anne-Marie's autobiography, it's called Out of the Shadows. It's a very good book, actually. She recalls that um, when she asked her mother why her mother, sorry, had collected Charmaine and not her, because 
don't forget you've got this two children that are you know Rena's children aren't they yes they may have been half sisters whatever but to them they were still had the same mother she can't believe or well, how come you know Charmaine's been saved and she sort of asked them why did she collect Charmaine but not me and Fred just replied well she wouldn't want you love you're the wrong color because remember Charmaine was half Asian dark-skinned but and so what a thing to say to a child knowing that you killed you know and he would have known what Rose had done without a doubt so this child for years was left you know feeling terrible really it must be really psychologically damaging for these children even to this day so Charmaine's body was initially stowed in the coal cellar of Middleton Road until Fred was released from prison. He later buried her naked body, naked, in the yard close to the back door of the flat and her remains uh, had not been dismembered at all. So I think this was just a quick burial for him. I think, I don't know, Rose West would have never and never will admit this murder at all. No way. Um, so you're never actually going to find out, Army, what happened. Charmaine but we can you know, pretty much uh, think can't we what went on for this poor child really um, a subsequent autopsy in all these years later on suggested that the body had been um, severed at the hips this damage may have been caused by building works or different stuff like that Fred actually did say that he did not dismember this body at all and I mean uh, Fred constructed you know he he done you know, done different things on this property, I think, in 1976. So several bones were found, you know, finger, the wrist, the toe, ankle bone. Um, these bones were missing from the skeleton. And again, this led to speculation of why he's continuing to keep these, you know, keepsakes of these bones. Um, and all the victims, really, all the discovery of most of the victims, I think all the victims in 1994, had all these different parts removed. So yes, he may have dismembered them, but he had also took some of them body parts and as a keepsake, again, for future reference, to bring back their memories. As most serial killers do, they like to revisit the crime and they need something to look at to bring them that memory back into the forefront of their mind and that's I think what he did. So we must talk about uh, Catherine you know or um, Rena West. So Rena she did maintain you know sporadic sort of um, contact with the children on occasion you know um, and, she, and when she and Fred had separated remember she stayed with him for a year and she couldn't do it anymore and it was also known that she had visited Moorcroft Cottage to inquire as to her children's whereabouts because, you know, and, and also, I think, and also in the latter half of August 1971. Don't forget though, now Charmaine is not there, is she? She's meant to be with Rena, isn't she? Rose has killed her, not expecting, or not even thinking, really, 
that Rena wants her children back because she's been fighting for these children for many, many years in her own way. So she really had to go, didn't she? So Fred's sister-in-law, Christine, later recalls that Rena or Rini was so depressed and was really quite anxious about the welfare of her of the children. Um, so she gave her, um, Fred's sister-in-law gave her Fred's address in Middleton Road and really sought, you know, I think to confront him, she went to confront him. It's probably likely that they discussed, you know, in demands of custody of their daughters, that's probably what they discussed. And I think that was the final time that um, Rena was actually seen alive. It is believed that she had been murdered by strangulation and possibly in the backseat of um, Fred's Ford popular car. And, you know, really asphyxiation, you know, was it. I think he buried, um, her body was discovered, I think, in, um, next to, <laughs> there was like this, metal tubing next to her remains and I, I think again uh, you know there's a probably good possibility that she had been restrained again and sexually assaulted and tortured prior to her murder as well. Uh, Rena's body was um, extensively dismembered, he really chopped her up, placed her in plastic bags and buried her close to a cluster of che uh, trees um, known as the Y tree, um, and and at this letterbox in this field again, it was about one mile from Much Markle. Again, he he placed his body in an area that he could remember, somewhere that he knew, you know, next to this yew tree, you know, and this this letterbox field they call it. He knew where to bury them, and. That was it then for um, Rena, and the problem is then is that when you have not got now people even looking for her really, you're not got anyone looking for Charmaine, have you? She's disappeared. Really now you've got Anne McFall, you know, disappeared. There's lots of people disappearing here, but nothing's putting them together. No one's really looking for these people, are they? So after all this murders and everything, Rose and Fred got married, I think on the 29th of January, 1972. That's when they married. I think the only person that was there was again this Fred's brother, John, and again here come up later on. He also acted as the best man. Several months later, Rose was pregnant again with her second child and the couple moved from Middleton Road to 25 <laughs> Cromwell Street, the House of Horrors, is just about to begin. Now I've said before that Fred was a worker. He's always worked. He was very good with his hands. He enjoyed woodwork and art. He was very, very good at stuff. So they moved into this 25 Cromwell Street. It was a three-story property. It was a big home at the time. They had these children because um, you just had another baby and this was a council property, a local authority property um, and um, they rented it for a little while but then Fred decided that he wanted to purchase this property from the council and it was £7,000 um, and the West purchased it and that was it, that was their 
home. Now, how they then paid off this mortgage of this £7,000, because, you know, in the 70s, 71, 72, you know, £7,000 is quite a lot of money. Well, it was quite a lot of money. It, today, it's a lot of money when you think what houses now would cost you, especially in this area where, where they lived, it would be hundreds and hundreds of thousands. So at that stage, it was quite a lot of money. So what they did was they had the upper floors that were initially converted like into little bed sits and flats um, and that supplied then the income that paid the mortgage. So he worked and then they'd rent out that. Now none of these tenants that were on this top floor flats were allowed to come into at any point their home, their part of the home. They were locked. Now also Rose had her own little room in this house that she had and kept the key around her neck to her own private room. So uh, I think on the 1st of June, uh, Rose gave birth to her second uh, daughter, and I think that's May. Um, her name was May June, because she was born in June. Um, and then after that, very quickly after that, Rose then um, <laughs> began to work as a prostitute. And now this is what this room was designed for. It had the red light actually, in the room. It was designed with quite a lot of sexual toys and sexual stuff, magazines, videotapes, homemade as well as brought, you know, triple X videos, uh, adult videos if that's what you'd like to call them, but there was also child um, abuse videos in that as well. Um, again probably what they'd done from home we don't know where they was getting from but that was already in that home and this is why this room was kept under lock and key and i think also in this room there was peepholes you see because fred used to like to want to watch so he's sometimes not always in that room um but he would have these little peepholes around so that he could watch and hear and there was also a baby monitor type thing in the room so he could even hear it if he couldn't see it he didn't want to see it he wanted to hear it and uh, Rose was a very, very busy woman in there. One, she had many, many partners and, and a lot of the partners were, came from many different backgrounds um, and stuff and also um, many different um, cultures, should I say, because that's how they thought they could earn their money. And Rose enjoyed it. That was her enjoyment she as I said before she was very sexual from a very young age she had been abused from a very young age she was brought up to think that that was normal to have sex with many different people and she liked to take control she was highly sexed and Fred would have to do what she said I think she was actually probably worse than him he would like to watch she would actually like to do she was very very vindictive she was sadistic Rose West, very sadistic indeed. So <laughs> that's really how this 25 Cromwell Street was forming. You've had this family downstairs living as they did, I think, and then they had the basement underneath where Fred would have his area and a mattress down there. And we know at this point he was raping his own children and God knows what else was going on in this house. It was quite a terrible home. 
and you couldn't call it a home. I think it was just terrible, a terrible place, the most probably evil place. So Rose would sleep with both men and women. She didn't care what it was. Some of the lodgers also she slept with. It would be people that maybe that um, Fred had worked with or knew. They was quite open about Rose's sexuality. They were quite open about Rose being a prostitute. You know, even though they tried to hide it a little bit, it really was the people they thought they could tell to get the clients in. Plus she advertised as well to get clients in. And I think the thing is with the female sexual partners, partners which, which aroused her most, was if she hurt them, if someone was in pain, or she could cause pain to them within this sexual act, it really excited her. And she would then try and use maybe larger sex toys to really try and damage them and hurt them and cause the pain and then shout at them. You know, you know aren't you woman enough? to take it. So you can imagine what this woman had been through as a child, can't you? When this is her reaction to sex. Sex to her was just to give her this feeling, I think, of empowerment. I think that's what it was about for her. I don't think she ever loved anyone in her life. Not anyone, really. I don't think she knew what the word meant. I don't think she had that feeling of it. Even the sexual partners were about her gratification, but not the sexual gratification. There was just something different about Rose West. Really, there's something different about her. She was pure evil. Whether she was born like it or made like it, this woman is pure evil. And then she had someone like Fred that encouraged it, it was the same. Two evil people together. So we don't know if it was going on before, but or whether they murdered anyone before, but I wouldn't be surprised, really. I think probably for Rose at this age, her own home, she set herself up now in this room. She should have had everything she wanted to, to, to keep her satisfied, but it wasn't enough. It really wasn't enough. It was about control, about power over people. It was about the torture of people. And as we go on to these murders and that scene, you'll see it was, it's shocking really what they did. So as this continues, you know, they're having threesomes, they're well known in the threesomes. I, I can't remember what they call it now. You know, um, I don't know what they call it. I've, I don't know, but you know, when they have threesomes, they meet up and there was regular people and other people, they just meet up for sex. It was well known in the area for that. Um, and I think they loved this bondage. Um, it was, for Rose, it was the perfect thing for her. She loved bondage, she loved the pain, she loved to give pain. And so for her bondage, and some people like bondage and like um, experiencing that pain for their, you know, it brings on their sex sexual feelings and stuff. And for Rose, it, it, she wanted it to hurt them. I don't think it was for her the bondage to do it to someone that actually liked it. She wanted to cause real pain, for it to cause real, because I think she wanted to feel something. I think this is what's wrong with Rose. She couldn't feel nothing. 
And I think all this was about her trying to feel something. More pain, the more pain. She wasn't feeling anything. And even when this bondage was done to her, and the most painful and the most violent of bondage you can think of. Didn't touch her. Didn't touch her at all. So by 1977, you know, Rose's father had come to terms, I suppose, with um, Fred. And, um, you know, and he had to tolerate, didn't he, the, the marriage if he wanted to see Rose and, and stuff. That's what he'd have to do, and they did. And I think together he and Fred opened up a cafe. It's called um, the Green Lantern, um, and which really it went insolvent very, very quickly because I don't think they could even manage that. But it was a place in your... There's a couple of, I think, the murders that um, they met them there, or Fred met people there or around that area at that time. So listen, you know, um, with uh, <laughs> um, Rose's father that um, he, he had found out she was a prostitute and, you know, then decided he's going to be one of her clients, you know, and he's used to visit her regularly up until he died, actually, um, for sex. And Fred knew and everyone was happy about it and he'd pay his money like everybody else. Uh, by 1983, um, she had given birth to eight children and at least three of them who were conceived by clients. They were not all friends. You know, there's going to be domestic violence in this property, don't we? I, you, haven't got, you don't need me to tell you. These children were absolutely terrified as being living in this house. At the age of seven for them, their life changed dramatically. They were assigned numerous of tasks that they had to do around the house and if they didn't do it or perform right and, you know, um, they would be beaten severely for it. They wasn't allowed to socialise outside the home if they needed to socialise or would tell anyone anything, they would be beaten. They could only speak to people that were they were allowed to speak to. It was very, very close-knit because no one, no one, in this West family, Fred and Rose West, didn't want any of what they were doing to come out. They didn't. So these children, all of these children, knew exactly what to do and what to say and was not allowed to discuss anything to anyone. That was the house rules. And if you broke them house rules, you were severely punished or even murdered. So Heather, this child, Heather West, um, then with her younger brother Stephen, who was born in 1973, uh, ran away from home. Uh, both returned to Cromwell Street after several weeks, you know, they were sleeping on the streets and stuff and staying with friends and literally on the, on the return home they were so severely beaten. But again, they had nowhere to go, it was 1973, you've got young kids out on the street, yeah, I think they'd rather sleep rough and go back there, but they had no choice but to go back. But between 1972 and 1992, the West children were admitted to accident emergency departments of these local hospitals 31 times. All the injuries were explained as accidents and no one ever reported any of these incidents to social services or the police at all. There are many reports about not so much Fred um, in them days, um, with these children, but Rose, she was awful. She was known to have kicked, punched, beat, stabbed, slashed, sliced these children. 
um, for some of the <laughs> silliest things. Because the floor was being mopped and she stepped near the bucket, got wet. You know, sometimes it was her own fault that things she had done, but she would blame the children and really, really beat these children. And these are her children saying how sadistic and violent she was to them. She was terrible. Um, I think even Fred was scared of Rose West. I think in 1974, in August 1974, um, Rose had um, chased after Fred with a carving knife. She was trying to get to him because he'd said something she didn't like and he'd slammed the door in the bathroom and as she stabbed the door, she slapped the, stabbed the knife so far through the door that her hand ran down the knife and slit her hand open. And, um, <laughs> you know, she nearly sliced her fingers open. She literally nearly, nearly cut her hands off. Um, but again, all she said was, well, that's your fault. There's no pain. There's nothing here in Rose. There was nothing. Amory West. In September 1972, the Wests led eight-year-old Anne to the cellar on t of 25 Cromwell Street, where the child was ordered to undress. But because she was a bit hesitant, and of course she would be, she was scared, Rose West just started to rip her clothes off her. She was then stripped naked, bound, to a mattress, gagged, before Fred raped her, with Rose actively encouraging this rape. After the rape, Rose followed Anne-Marie to the bathroom. She handed her a sanitary towel and then explained to the child, everybody does it to every girl. It's her father's job, don't worry and don't say anything to anybody. Making it clear, <laughs> really, that these sexual assaults would continue. Fred and Rose then threatened the child with a severe beating if they ever received word that she had devolved any of the sexual abuse that she had endured at their hands. Rose also, also occasionally sexually abused Anne-Marie herself and later took extreme gratification in degrading her with acts such as, um, as binding Anne-Marie to various items of furniture before encouraging Fred to rape her. I mean, there's psychological damage here. You're being tied to furniture. You're not knowing your own mother is doing this to you. So you're being tied up. You don't know when the rape's coming, but it's coming. It must have been shocking for this children, really. Uh, he would also make her perform um, household chores, dressed up, while also wearing sexual devices and having to do things in miniskirts. They really just tried to degrade these children. They tried to take everything from these children. Everything. At the age of 13, Fred and Rose forced Anne-Marie to prostitute herself within the household and the clients being informed that Anne-Marie was 16 years old and she was actually 13 years old at the time. Rose was always present in the room and it wasn't because she wanted to protect her child 
from any abuse or violence or anything that was going on in that room, that's fine. But it was to stop Anne-Marie telling these people, I'm only 13, and for the client then to worry or leave at that point, because they believed she was 16. Uh, on one occasion, Anne-Marie was 13 or 14 and Rose took her to the local pub and insisted that she drunk several glasses of barley wine. Uh, several hours later, Fred arrived at the pub to collect Rose and Anne-Marie and once they'd left the premises, things started to turn a bit funny and it was a really odd situation, I think, because then they got her in the back of the car they started in the van and they started to beat her. And then Rose was saying to her, well, you think you're going to be my friend? You think you're going to be my friend? You know, I, I, this is psychological damage to these children. You know, one, you're being prostituted out now. Two, your, your parents or your mother's taken you for a drink because you think she's going to want to socialise with you. You've had a nice evening, but then you're beaten for it. You're told you're not a friend. You're nothing. Now in 1972, a woman called Caroline Owens, and I think a lot of people who know this case would know about Caroline Owens, um, and the West hired her. Again, she was 17 year old, so they like this prime age, don't they? That's their sort of age they're looking for, um, to be a nanny for their children. So they picked her up one night at a secluded country road as a hitchhiker, and lots of people listen in, in the 70s and 80s hitchhike. So they picked her up on this country road and stuff, and as she was in the car, she had told them she'd been visiting the boyfriend and that she, how she disliked her stepdad and stuff, and she was looking for a job. So they've offered her this job as a nanny for them. So listen, several days later, Owen has stayed there for them a few days and decides, yes, I'm going to move in. This is a good little job. It's a part-time job. And she moves into 25 Cromwell Street uh, and shares a room with Anne-Marie, actually, who she also noticed that is very, very withdrawn. Well, she would be, wouldn't she? Poor girl. So Rose, who had again, you know, engaged in prostitution by this time, explained to Owens that she worked as a masseur. So with Owens, she asked Rose West, why is there a steady stream of men? And she said, oh, I'm a masseur. You know, that's why. Don't worry. You know, um, <laughs> but she said it was Fred that said to her, which really made her think something, because she said, when she asked, oh, you know, what do you do? And he said, I'm a skilled abortionist. So if you ever get in any trouble, you come to me and I can get rid of that for you. I've done it for loads of girls. I love it. That's what I do. A skilled abortionist. So you've got prostitution in this house, you've got these kids in this house, you've got this man telling people, that, you know, he's really skilled and that's what he does. He, he you know, he's uh, an abortionist. Um, and um, if you need anyone or tell anyone, they can come to me if they need it. If you need it, you know, because I've got a boyfriend. Are you sexually active with your boyfriend? And then he starts getting into this with her that really makes her stand back. She sort of felt really then something's not right here because then he starts talking a very sexual, you know, in these overtones and this... Um, he, <laughs> Is like really strange, but really, as I've said before, when Fred, Fred West wanted something, there was no no, and I think this is what she was feeling from him. You could you could tell, 
and I think it really made her step back a little bit. One, because he's talked about abortion. You've got another one now that's saying she's a missouri and you've got these men going up and down the stairs and you're there three days a week going to look after his children. I think she was a bit weary at that point anyway. So listen, at this point she's like, decided, you know what, I'm going to do that and then I'm going to go home. So she sort of said to him, oh, you know, told him their, her intentions. I'm just, you know, I'm going to go back home. You know, I'm not really keen on this really it's not really for me thinking that that would be all right so knowing that owen's habits of hitchhiking along with say 40 and stuff um between um you know all these places west formulated a plan to abduct her they was going to abduct her well they did abduct her actually um for again for their own gratification because they would have tried to do it while she was there they would have encouraged her into it and in the end she would have been murdered anyway but because she said no, she didn't, she felt something was wrong, she wanted to leave and she left. They knew she was hitchhiking, that was her regular thing to do. They hatched this plan and that's what they did. Fred later admitted that he really, his intention was to abduct, rape and probably likely kill her. And that's exactly what he said. You know, rape, you know, abduct, rape and, you know, most likely kill her. That's, that's how he spoke about her. She was a very lucky girl, this girl survived very lucky but then initially she was determined you know he didn't really know um whether his wife would be willing you know or at least you know assist him in the abduction but he didn't know if she'd go that far well she did she did they put this plan together to abduct her and that's exactly what they did to this poor girl they pulled up on the 6th of december 1972 uh, they've lured Owen into the vehicle again apologizing and we're really sorry and as I've said before Fred had this way of coming across where you believed him you know we're sorry you know we just want to give you a lift home we really apologize she gets in the car and Rose says listen I'm going to get in the back with you because I want to have a girly chat he can drive let's have a girly chat so she thinks everything is fine the minute the door's shut they drive off Rose is on this girl she is the one that's trying to molest this girl and rape this girl in the back of the car. He, she is now screaming. So listen, all this stuff's going on in the back of the car. You've got this girl, now this young girl, knowing, you know, she's being fondled. Um, Fred is also in the front of the seat questioning her about, have you had sex with your boyfriend tonight? Uh, Rose is all over her. And then she starts to protest, she starts to scream out, stop, you know, I don't want this. Fred pulls over and literally punches her straight in the face and knocks her out. Um, she's unconscious and then um, he and Rose again bound and gagged her with a scarf and duct tape in the car. And then they took her back then to the 25 Cromwell Street. So she states at Cromwell Street that she was given a cup of tea which... Um, which she felt, believes was drugged again, um, and then she was subject to a prolonged sexual assault um, from both Fred and Rose. At one stage, and this is an awful thing for this young girl to have to repeat, but she did, Fred remarks that Owen states that, you know, Fred says about her clitoris and it is unusual, and he started then hitting it and, and hitting her genitals with a leather belt. Um, she, I mean, she started to scream. It was, must have been so painful for her. Plus, all the other stuff that's going on with with her now. She's 
And then Rose starts to then try and suffocate her at the same time uh, with a pillow and then starts to restrain her and puts things around her neck. She quickly realises though, you know, that she's in a real situation here. Where the screams are, I think one of the kids knocked at the door and it stopped as well then, but she had already stopped and calmed down. So Fred threatened that he and his wife would uh, have to keep her locked up in the cellar if she didn't do what she was told to do. And she, they wanted her there and everything. And she agreed. And that's what saved her life. She played their game. She played it well. And she survived. I mean, Fred had also told her that he had buried lots of people and he'd killed lots of people and he'd be burying her under the pavement with the rest of them, under the, you know, the garden slabs with the rest of them. He said a lot of things to her that in the end made a lot of sense. Um, uh, I, think, um, I think he said in an interview about Owens, because he actually admitted it in the end when he was arrested, that really that he brought her to the house literally only for Rose's pleasure. It was Rose that wanted her. But don't get me wrong, once they'd been finished with her, she'd have been dead unless she'd done what she's told. And I think how she escaped was she'd gone to this laundrette with Rose and literally escaped. When she got home, she wasn't really going to say anything to her mother, I think. She was, um, I think, just trying to forget it, trying to, she just was absolutely terrified. But the mother knew something was wrong and when the mother explained what it was, she just broke down and told her everything. So immediately her mother did ring the police and reported it. And um, this ordeal when this daughter was up, when her daughter was absolutely terrible. And the West, West were arrested and charged with assault, indecent assault, actual body harm and rape. The case was tried at the Gloucester Magistrates Court on the 12th of January 1973, but by this date, Owens had decided that she couldn't face this ordeal of um, and testifying in court because would she be believed? These people were very scary. She was scared for her life. She knew that he'd killed others. He told her that's what he was going to do. And the charges, you know, for the sexual abuse were dropped and then West agreed to plead guilty actually to the reduced charge of indecent uh, assault and causing um, actual bodily harm rather than grievous bodily harm or rape and was each fined £50 and um, the couple were allowed to walk free from court. I think when Owens heard the news, because she couldn't, she just couldn't face, she's a very young girl, we're talking about a very young girl, that's been through a traumatic experience and there's a lot of people that can't go to court and face their perpetrators. And, you know, it was her word against theirs, and there's two of them, they've got kids, and, you know, would she have been believed? And then you've got that fear of them coming after you because he's warned you. But then when you, are, when you don't do it and you realise that they're out anyway, you've got a £50 fine, the fear's still there, isn't it? That's why she tried to commit suicide, I think. Three months after the West assault trial, the couple committed their first known murder. Uh, the victim was 19-year-old um, named Linda Goff, um, who, with whom I think Fred and Rose became acquainted through this male lodger that they had in early 1973. Goff visited regularly at Cromwell Street and engaged in affairs with about two or three male lodgers in the home. Um, on the 19th of April, she moved into the home of Cromwell Street. On or about the 20th of April, 
Other tenants were told that she had been told to leave the household after she had um, hit one of their children. She moved in on the 19th, was gone by the 20th. This same story was repeated to Goff's mother who came looking for her actually. She knocked on 25 Cromwell Street and wanted to know where her daughter was. And Rose then stood at the door and said, oh no, you know, um, she hit one of our children, she's gone. But she was standing there in Linda's clothing. Rose was wearing Linda's clothing, clothing, talking to her mother. The mother knew something was wrong but could never prove anything. They could never prove it. And again, Goff's body, uh, dismembered body was found. Uh, her jaw had been completely wrapped in adhesive and um, surgical tape to silence her screams. There had been two small, like, tube-type things that had likely been inserted into her nasal cavity to allow her to breathe while they were torturing and raping and murdering her. Uh, long sections of string and a section of knotted um, fabric were also found discovered with her moraines. It looks like it was likely that she had been hung from or suspended from these holes um, that had been carved into this wooden um, beam supporting up the set, you know, the ceiling in the cellar. Uh, Fred later did admit that uh, he had um, devised for the purpose of suspension of his victims' bodies. Again, her body had been dismembered. It was missing some vertebrae, um, you know, fingers, and, and again, little parts of, of the bones were taken as um, keepsakes for these killers. And she was buried actually in, in the inspection pit um, beneath the garage at 25 Cromwell Street. Um, from the latest investigation, the police and friend experts concluded that all victims found at 25 Cromwell Street had been murdered at that location and that, like Goff, um, each had been dismembered in that location. Five victims were murdered and buried in the cellar at 25 Cromwell Street between um, November 1973 and April 1975. The first of these victims, victims was a 15-year-old Carol Ann Cooper abducted on the 10th of November 1973. Cooper lived in the Pine Children's Home in Worcester and was abducted after spending the evening at the cinema with her boyfriend. She had been waiting for a bus, so the bus has come up, and that was in Warden when she was vanished and was likely dragged into the car by Fred. Um, her face was bound again with surgical tape and her arms were bound with braiding cloths um, before she was driven to Crom Cromwell Street. At the West's address, Cooper was suspended from again this wooden beam from the ceiling and was then abused and tortured and raped before she was murdered. It's also the case is that this girl was also strangled or asphyxiated again because of this coverings on the face. Her body was again dismembered and buried in a shallow, shallow grave in the cellar again. Over the following 17 months, a further four victims, um, there were a further four victims and these are all around the ages of 15 and 21. They already suffered the same fate but and, and, you know, ended up, I think, the same way as um, Goff and Cooper. 
but it, it was noticed that these victims had been tortured more. The, um, it, it's like it, there'd been greater abuse, greater torture um, than the previous murders. These people were getting frenzied by this time. This would never have stopped if these people hadn't been caught. Really, this would never have stopped. These people were just getting worse and worse and worse. And the things they did to these poor young girls was really terrible. This is truly a house of horrors. Now, I think this, the murder of 18-year-old Moat um, in 1975, Fred also then concreted over the whole floor because, again, this she had the same fate as, as the others had and she was buried in the cellar. Um, and then he used that and he converted that into the children's bedroom. They slept downstairs, the older children, that was in their rooms down there. So after he converted this um, downstairs and the kids moved down there, I mean, this is about, but I think they, they weren't known to have committed any more murders, actually, until, from then until May, I think, 1978. Now, we don't know if this was just Fred's idea or ever, whether... Rose knew about it or whether she didn't know about it um, or was she participating in it, we're not really sure. But certainly um, <laughs> it would have been with her knowledge. I think she, he may have said, I'm going to kill her or whatever, but whether she participated is a different thing. I can't see Fred West doing anything without Rose West's first degree and th that's okay. And she loved to kill as much as he did. So I can't see why she wouldn't have got involved with this one. There's probably plenty of reasons why she would have. So it was the murder of 18-year-old lodger named Shirley Robson, uh, Robinson. Now Robinson had first met Fred at Green Lantern Calf. You remember the calf that the dad who was sleeping with Rose, the daughter, his daughter, and then he hated Fred but went into business and it was this Green Lantern Calf in April 1977. And she had taken lodgings then with the West in that same month. She was heavily pregnant again at this time of the murder, although Rose herself was pregnant at this time of her murder. And maybe that's why I think people think, did she do it, did she not, because she was pregnant? It wouldn't matter to Rose if she was pregnant or not. Um, initially um, boasting to neighbours that the child that Robinson was carrying was that of her husband's. So Rose is telling people, see that girl, She's pregnant with my husband's child. She's bragging about it. But this soon seemed to develop into real resentment for Rose. So this resentment, I think, by Rose of Robinson is probably the motive for the murder. Probably it's likely it would have been. Because she was a threat. Any threat into that household. Remember, you can't speak, you can't say anything, you can't have friends and you can't do anything. Any threat to that relationship, if she was having Fred's baby, and this is what she said, she was a threat. She was a threat to Rose, because it could be Rose next, couldn't it, that he takes out? Probably not, but Rose would have been thinking that. She knows what he's like. She knows what he does. So what does she do? She takes out Robinson. That's it. She's gone. To keep the stability of this West relationship together, then that's it. She's gone and her, again, her body was buried in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street. So this time, listen, she wasn't really extensively dismembered. There was no restraints either um, used on her. She was literally just murdered. 
Um, again, it didn't even look like there had been a sexual motive with this murder. But, you know, when she was buried, her unborn child had been removed and there were several bones missing from the hands again. So this keepsake, they never found the child's body at all. So okay, let's talk about this final murder. So the final murder of Fred and Rose was known to have been committed um, and it was definitely a sexual uh, motivated uh, crime and it was on the 5th of um, August 1979. The victim was a 16 year old and her name was Alison Chambers and she was a runaway from the local children's home and had become um, West's again living nanny. Again this thing. And so I think it was in the middle of 1979, um, Chambers is to have lived in their household for about several weeks uh, before the murder. Um, and Rose promised that Chambers could live on this rural, um, peaceful farm uh, and uh, where, where she and Fred owned. Well, they didn't own it. And they played this young girl. This girl come from a home, um, you know, she had nothing. She believed them. She trusted them. And they killed her. So her body was buried in the garden of Cromwell Street and it was against the um, bathroom wall. Um, yes, she had been dismembered. Her body had been dismembered, but it had not been bound and, and stuff like the others had. Um, she wasn't like the early victims at all. So I think the worst thing I think is here that her parents, of course, and people are looking for this girl. She's only young. People are actually looking for her. Their family's looking for her. Even though she had been in care, she she needed, um, people needed to know where she was. So what they did, um, what Rose and Fred did, they did this letters, you know, it was just this correspondence they started to do to about, you know, and they posted the letters from Chambers to the mother um, prior to her murder. And this was at Northamptonshire Post Office. They continued to post letters to this woman about this girl for years. Anne-Marie ran, ran away um, from the home in 1979 after enduring this particular severe beating from Rose. You know, her stomach just days after being discharged from hospital treatment with an ectopic pregnancy. Really, as you can imagine, being kicked and punched in the stomach after having an ectopic pregnancy. So this frequency of abuse and this that these kids had to endure, Heather and May had to endure, was increased and both girls um, reached puberty. It just really got really, really bad. Fred was, you know, overt and was unapologetic for his conduct and he justified his action. It's simply explaining, I made you, I can do what I want with you. It's just a terrible thing. You know, this is their father, you think, oh my God. Um, he further, he further, we further, you know, he, he further said about his intentions to impregnate them. Um, both his daughters, on well, at least one occasion, occasionally forced his children to watch pornographic movies and stuff with him. Um, some quite disturbing ones as well. So you had this Heather and May, and then you had the younger brother Stephen. They were very, very close in age. The trio sort of um, revolved around. They sort of knew what their father was doing. They didn't want to leave one of the girls in the room on their own. So if he called the girls in, you know, said, come over here, just you, they'd all stay around. They sort of got to know when to do things and when not to do things um, because they didn't want to be raped or abused or beaten. So I think they all sort of made this pact to stay together. 
it was really, really um, terrible because Hevel couldn't shower. They wouldn't shower when he was there. They knew if he was at work, they'd shower. Or you had one of the sisters stand by the door when the other one was in the shower. I mean, what a terrible way to live for these girls. You had Heather now trying to get through school. She was at school. She was so, um, not embarrassed, I don't think, scared to remove her clothes and change in a changing room to go to gym class. She couldn't do it. The, in the end, they made her do it, and then they found that she had welts and marks and scratches and bruises across her whole body. But again, she said it was nothing. These kids couldn't tell. In the end, she did tell someone. She did tell someone what was going on at her home. She told one of her friends, and it was one of her friends who knew, um, her father knew, Rose and Fred West, and he said, you know, what's been going on? We've heard things about, you know, what you're doing to Heather. Well, that were it. it was for Heather, is She literally ended it for Heather because they've all this, their life, they've been told not to say, don't say anything, don't do anything. Just don't do it. Keep it to yourself. And what did Heather do? She told.